Now, as I said, Paul mentions the second coming of Jesus Christ in all of his letters to the churches, but he doesn't give a whole lot of details about when it's going to happen, we don't know, or great detail as to the exact minutia of uh, that event. But we'll learn what we can from this passage today. Because the church in Thessalonica had contacted Paul, maybe had written to him, and had asked for more details about Jesus' second coming, especially how it would impact their friends and relatives who had recently died. So when Jesus ascended up to heaven after his earthly ministry, Christians looked forward to his return. He said he was going to return. They thought it was going to happen in their lifetimes, you know, just a matter of maybe a few months or a few years at most, but then time started to go on, year by year, and some of the members from the congregation uh, were older, and even though they looked forward to Jesus returning, the time came for them to die. So church members started thinking, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? We thought Jesus would return very shortly. He hasn't returned yet, and now some of our members have died. What's going to happen to them? Are they gonna be left out of this somehow? So the members didn't know when Jesus would return. Most hoped that it would take place in their lifetime. And now that some of their uh, loved ones had died, they were asking Paul, what's this all mean? So we start reading here in uh, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, falling asleep is a metaphor for death, because when somebody dies, for all intents and purposes, they look like they're asleep. You know, if you've gone to a, a funeral wake and you go in there and the person, the, the body is in the casket, you walk up to them and you look at them and they look like it's just the regular person sound asleep. So that's why they use that metaphor for death as somebody who falls asleep. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So you see, we have hope with our calling and our belief in God. He has given us hope for the future and we know that death is not the end of all things, okay? Today, some people have no hope because they think that this life is all that there is. And we may grieve when someone dies. That's natural as Christians. But our grief is mixed with hope because we know that our existence continues in a far better circumstances. So verse 14, we believe, he encourages them by saying, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now this is a an important phrase there, those last two words to that verse. Those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in him. Now, what does that mean to be in him? Well, when we come to the point where we hear the gospel, the good news about what God has done for us, how we have all sinned uh, and kind of cut ourselves off from God because of our sins, we had no way to get back to God. But God decided that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to become one of us, 
to live a perfect life and then to die. And by his death, he paid the penalty for all of our sins so that our relationship with God could be restored. We could be reconciled back to God. And when you hear the gospel, you believe that God's word is true, that Jesus did literally exist. He did die on the cross to pay for our sins. We're called on in the Bible to repent. In other words, what we have to do is to recognize that we are a sinner and that we do need help. We do need a savior. We can't save ourselves. So we look to Jesus Christ. We not only believe in him, but we believe that what he did is effectual for each and every one of us. So we take it personally. He died for the whole world, but we got to make that personal. He died for me because I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven. And once you do that, you are in Christ. So that's what he talks about here. Those who have fallen asleep in him. He's talking about Christians who believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Son of God. So those who fall asleep in him, it says here that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So we all have loved ones who have died. Christians, Christian people from different various churches, you know, uh, and when they die, what happens to them? Well, in the book of Job, it says, when a person dies, the body goes to the grave, but the spirit goes back to be with God. So we are made up of not just a physical body, we have a brain, we have a mind, and so on, but God has also put into us a spirit. And it's through that spirit that I guess we communicate with God. We talked the other week about how when we become Christians, Jesus Christ comes and dwells in us. Now, Jesus doesn't show up in an x-ray. When we go to the hospital and get x-rayed, the doctor doesn't go, well, who, who is that inside of you? No, it's somehow in our spirit where Jesus dwells, along with the Holy Spirit and God the Father as well, because they are a trinity, a triune God, one God in three persons. So when we die, when it comes to a Christian, the body goes to the grave. We don't need that physical body anymore. The spirit goes to be with God. So when Jesus Christ returns, those who have died, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So it's upon Jesus Christ's return that we will be reunited with those loved ones that have died those friends and relatives who, who have been Christians who were in Christ. So that's one of the reasons why we look forward to Jesus' return. It's a time of re reunion with those that we have lost, and that is a promise from God, okay? <clears throat> he says here in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he was the, the forerunner for all of us. He showed us what's going to happen to us ultimately because he died, his body was put in the tomb, but we know that following Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And there was proof because he showed himself alive to so many different people, eyewitnesses who wrote the accounts of the gospel and, and the epistles. 
We too will be raised from the dead because we are reunited with him, or united with him, I should say. Hold your place, and I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11, where it says this. And if the spirit of him, God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we looked at Jesus' resurrection from the dead as an example of what's going to happen to us ultimately. We die, our bodies get put in the grave, but at Jesus Christ's return, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. And Jesus is going to bring the spirits of those who have died because they've been dwelling with him all this time since their death. Those who are in Christ, they will return in that sense with Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read on here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So don't worry about your dead relatives. They're not going to miss out on anything. So I think that most church members at this time thought that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. But of course, time went on. Paul encourages them, don't worry, your dead loved ones will be there when this all happens. It's going to be a tremendous day. It's going to be a day when Jesus returns like no other day that has ever happened in the history of our dwelling here on this planet. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what is this command that he's talking about here? Did the dead come with Jesus or do they rise from the grave? Well, that isn't the main question Paul is addressing. The Thessalonians would have been familiar in their time with what happens when an important person visited their city, Thessalonica, whether it be a king or just some famous person. They would always set it up, this was the custom and the culture of the day, that when the visitor arrived to the city, trumpets would be blown and heralds would announce the arrival of the king. There would be a lot of pomp and ceremony as the officials of the city would lead this king in procession into the town. So they knew what this was like to have an important person arrive to the city. And what Paul is comparing this to you know, just like when a high official comes into, into town to visit, a government official or whatever the case would be, it's going to be similar with Jesus, but it's going to be beyond what you've ever experienced in your life. Because those blowing the trumpets are going to be angelic beings. It's going to be out of this world. In other words, you've never experienced anything like this before. And he says here, and the dead... Here's this phrase again, in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. So what is it about these these physical bodies? Well, we know that when we die, this body here is of the earth. You know, when scientists analyze the human body, what is it made of? 
It's made up of earthly substances. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, uh, he, he picked up dirt from the earth to form the first uh, uh, people. So this body wasn't meant to last forever. You know, when it goes to the grave, it gradually disappears. All your bones are left. The, the flesh, the organs have just dissipated and gone back to the earth, okay? I don't want to get gross about bugs eating you and all this kind of stuff, but it happens. You know, I enjoy watching the old westerns on TV and the black and white shows, you know, from the 50s and 60s. And all the time, somebody's getting shot. And what do they do? They, they dig a hole and put the person in it and bury them. And uh, you had to do that because you don't want dead bodies hanging around. It's not sanitary. But uh, these bodies that we have are meant to go back to, to the earth. Okay, they're not meant to, to last forever. Now, come the resurrection from the dead, we are going to have a new body. So it doesn't really hap- matter that much, you know, how we're buried, if we're buried in a box, if we're just thrown into the dirt, if we're uh, cremated, it doesn't matter. Because this physical body is not the same body that is going to be raised from the dead. It's going to be a new body. It's going to be a, a spirit body, if you will. So God is going to create that. He's going to create a body that is going to last for all eternity. Okay? It's no longer going to be made out of uh, iron and copper and manganese and all these elements that we have in our body and in small amounts. That's not the body we need for forever, for eternity. So he's going to give us a body suitable for that. So again, this is the return of Jesus Christ in glory. He says in verse 17, After those dead in Christ rise first, after that we who are still alive and are left at Jesus' return will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So what a fantastic time that's going to be. Jesus Christ is going to return, and there's going to be two different responses from people. The people who are not in Christ, the people who have convinced themselves that there's no such person as Jesus Christ, that God doesn't exist, that it's all fables, that it's all fairy tale and make-believe, and only ignorant people believe in religion or believe in God, they're going to have one response. Their response is described in Revelation chapter 6. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Now, when Jesus returns on that glorious day, that tremendous day, that the, the likes of which the earth has never seen before, a lot of people are going to react this way. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So imagine what it's going to be like for people who all their lives just lived the way they wanted, convinced themselves that God doesn't exist, and there's no rules or regulations, and all of a sudden, this one that you believe doesn't exist returns with glory. 
to judge the world. What are you going to think? Well, you're going to feel I'm doomed. All is lost. <laughs> you know, hide me from this, this returning Lord and Savior. But you see, those who are in Christ, their reaction is going to be totally different. Here comes the one we've been waiting for. Here comes the one that we have worshipped. Here comes the one who has saved us. So two total different reactions to the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, back here to 1 Thessalonians 4. Because this marks the point that we will literally be with Jesus from that time forward for all eternity. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And he says in verse 18, therefore encourage each other with these words. So it's with these words that we're to encourage one another. This is the message that puts all of our trials into perspective and gives us courage to be faithful to the end because we know that Jesus is going to return as he's promised. And the second matter that Paul addresses was one that arose out of the church members' worry that they might, may not be prepared for Jesus' return when it happens and that it might take them unawares. So let's read on here in chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know about you, but I want more details. <laughs> you know, if you could tell us the exact day that he's going to return, the exact month, what to look for. But you know what? Human nature, you want to know these things because... In most cases, we'll wait until we get closer to the time of his return. Then we'll start putting forth effort to, to do the right things and to live the right way. That's human nature. But God wants us to be prepared all the time. So that's why he says, you know, I'm not, gonna, not going to give you any further details. Because I told you that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What does that mean? Well, that means he's going to come unexpectedly. And he's going to be unexpected and, for some, unwelcomed. So we used to think in our church over the years that it was our duty to figure out, you know, to, to go through every little scripture and come up with some sort of timetable as to when God's going to return and, and, you know, know all the details and all the dates and all the places. And no matter how much effort we put into that, every idea we had was false. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And, you know, Jesus said, it's not up to you to know the times, the dates, and so on. My return is going to be like the thief in the night. I'm going to come unexpectedly. It's like a burglar. When a burglar arrives, you never anticipate a burglar breaking into your house when it happens, and I hope it doesn't happen to any of you. But it certainly is unexpectedly, and usually in the middle of the night. But he goes on to say here in verse 2, or verse 3 rather, while people are saying peace and safety, yeah, everything's going fine, and you know, stock market's doing okay, and that's when destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman. That's another thing that happens suddenly. I remember each and every one of our children, when they were about to be born, when my wife went into labor, and, you know, I didn't say to her the night before, well, you know, tomorrow is when you're going to go into labor, so be prepared. We knew it would come eventually, but when labor pain started, 
My wife said, oh no, you gotta get me to the doctor, get me to the hospital, I'm starting to feel the pains. Well, that's what it's gonna be like when Jesus returns. It's gonna be at a time unexpected, like a thief in the night, or a woman suddenly going into labor pains. So don't waste your time trying to figure out the exact time and date. Don't try to figure out all aspects of prophecy as we did, wasted a lot of time doing it. Just make sure you're prepared. So Paul doesn't give us any further details about destruction that's gonna take place, as he mentions here. He may be referring to the turmoil that was expected before the day of the Lord, or to the day of judgment itself, when some people will discover that the world is truly ruled by someone they don't like, Jesus. And they're going to suffer the consequences of their own actions. So Paul's purpose is not to tell us about the destruction, but to encourage us that we will not have to experience it if we're in the Lord. Let's read on. Verse 4, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons and daughters of the light, and sons and daughters of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So the comparison of darkness representing evil, ignorance, light, referring to those who are seeking God in their life, those who are in Christ because they believe and accept Jesus as their savior. Verse six, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, spiritually speaking, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we're God's people. Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So it's possible for believers to be tempted to live like unbelievers, to kind of slack off and fall back into old, old habits. And what those Christians need in that case is not information on when the day is coming of Jesus' return in the hope that they can quickly put their lives in order at the last minute, but strong commands to live as people who belong to the day. He says that we should be like soldiers who are on watch wearing spiritual armor, showing their readiness for the return of their king. So that's why from time to time we have to talk about Jesus returning. It is going to happen. In our lifetimes, I don't know. As we experience this world and this society around us, and I think we all agree that it's gradually going downhill fast. And we ask ourselves the question, how much longer can this go on? I mean, we've already got rioting in the streets. We've already got, you know, division in so many aspects of our society so that people are already talking about there being a potential civil war again in our country. How much longer can this go on? And I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about the world as a whole. So many countries are going through similar circumstances. He says in verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us to experience fear at his return. He has planned something better for us, salvation and eternal life with him. And the second coming of Jesus Christ is the transition point. 
where the old world, so to speak, comes to an end. And a new way begins. And God has called us to become a part of that. And we're living that now. We're getting a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like now. He goes on to say that he describes how we're saved. He died for us, Jesus did, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're still alive or dead at his second coming, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. So whether we are alive or dead at the time of Jesus' return, the purpose and result are the same. We will live with him. That's the salvation that he obtained for us. To be in Christ is to have entered a relationship that nothing, including death, can destroy. And with this hope in mind, the church members should help one another by offering encouragement to each other and doing whatever else would help to make their faith strong. So we need to talk about the return of Jesus Christ from time to time. We need to refocus and to encourage one another that no matter what trial you're going through right now, not only is God walking with you through that trial, he doesn't promise to remove the trial instantly when we ask him to, but he is with us to strengthen us, to learn from the trial, to endure it, because he gives us the power to do that. Let's turn to one last scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, this is why in so many respects our lives as Christians are different. Our different perspective, our different focus, our different hope that most people have. You know, there are a lot of people today who hope in a particular political party, whichever one it is. And they feel if only the person from this party gets elected, then things are going to be okay. They put their hope in that. That tends to be a religion for some people, politics. But we don't put our hope there. Because no matter who's elected, we rely on God. God is our, our, our hope. God is our king. Yeah, we live in this country, we're thankful for it. There's many blessings we've received by, by living in this country. But it's not the source of our hope. Paul says here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, now there, uh, now there is in store for me, this is what we're looking forward to, because this is what's going to happen when Jesus returns. There is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So like I said, you got to be the kind of person who longs for Jesus' return. If you were to take a survey in our country today, how many people long for the second coming of Jesus Christ? There are some people who will just laugh in your face. <laughs> you literally believe in such a thing, they'll say, because they're so far removed. Amen. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't feel they need a God. They don't need a Savior. Their life is okay. They're making the best of it that they can. And compared to other people, they feel they're pretty good. But we have a promise from God that there is a crown, a literal crown, that has been prepared for us. 
and it is the crown of righteousness. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not our righteousness. <laughs> it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that because we have accepted him as our Savior, we have repented, we've realized that we're a sinner who needs a Savior, and that whole process that God has prepared is that Jesus' righteousness, because he lived his whole life without sinning once, his righteousness is now credited to our account. Okay? So any crown that we receive represents the crown of righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to us as a gift. So we're not going to walk around saying, hey, my crown's bigger than yours because I was a better person. None of us have been. We're sinners who needed a Savior and have been given one out of God's love and his grace. So imagine us all walking around with a crown on our heads that represents not us, but the Savior who made it possible for us to wear that. So that is the crown of righteousness that God has prepared for us. And Paul often thought of that as we should, as we look forward to Jesus' return, because that's the time that we will receive a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, and Jesus is returning to judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also, all to, also to all who have longed for his appearing. So we need to long for his appearing. Remember the, the Lord's uh, prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And so on and so forth. But we look forward to Jesus' return. Okay? Uh, we ask that his kingdom be brought down to this world and uh, established here, which it will be. So when Jesus returns as the righteous judge, there's going to be two categories of people. There are going to be people who would have nothing to do with God, don't care about God, thought that they can maybe get by on their own merits if there was going to be a judgment day and if there is truly a God, and they're doomed because their righteousness is not good enough. No matter what good works that they've tried to do, you know, in Isaiah, God says, all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's the way God sees us, just trying to do good things on our own. But you see, when you have Jesus dwelling in you, when you are in Christ, then the good works that you do are not your work. It's Jesus doing the work through you. Those are the kind of good works that are acceptable to God. So when judgment time comes, either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. And those who are in Christ are going to be welcomed into God's kingdom and eternal life. And those who are not in Christ will be judged. And it's going to be a tough time because God is going to recount every sin that they've ever committed. Amen. But we're not going to be in that group if we continue to look forward to the return of Jesus. If we remain in Christ, in relationship with him, growing in deeper and deeper relationship every day, our reward awaits us. So look, look forward to that day. Let's encourage one another who are going through tough times and help them to focus on the future and the time when we will receive our reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clearer picture you've given us of the return of Jesus. It is a certainty. It will happen. You haven't given us all the details, but you've given us enough to believe. And you've given us the faith to believe. 
So help us to do that more firmly. And Father, when we're going through tough times and trials, help us to focus on the future. When Jesus Christ returns and we finally, once and for all, receive our eternal reward, that crown of righteousness that you've prepared for us. And all glory and honor goes to you. We are so undeserving. But Father, you're such a grace-filled God and a loving God that you've prepared this for us and for anybody else who will believe as we believe. Help us to spread the good news and point people toward you. So thank you, Father. We pray this now and give you thanks in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.